everybody. If you're going with Aaron, you can slip out. If, uh, if you're not, uh, you're, you're in the right place. We're going to get into Ephesians chapter 4 here in just a moment. And I'm, I'm so thankful and excited to see Rhonda. She just got out of the hospital and came right to church. Let's go. I like that. And uh, she's a blessing, isn't she? And we're thankful we've been praying and, and uh, glad to see you out of the hospital. Really, it's a, it's a joy. Um, and I want to—I really want to encourage you. Aaron's made some announcements, and I want—I want to kind of dig in on just a little further. On Sunday, we're going to have some uh, some specific invites to the Night of Hope, and they're really simple. They got a little QR code on them; people can just scan it and, and go right to Eventbrite. We have a number of signups already from people outside the church. Most of the names I don't recognize, which is good. And um, this is—I don't know. If there's an easier event to invite people to, I really, I mean, there's just like virtually everybody's depressed. And I'm not saying that lightly. I just mean the word is just like household word. And you remember a few weeks ago, um, Carrie Schmidt said that only 18% of people would say that they are happy. Well, that's terrible. But what it does is it gives us an opportunity to say, hey, let's speak to that. And uh, when I, there's just... The night is going to be unbelievable. Um, Lakeisha Burton is one of the most remarkable people that I know. She's not preaching, of course. She's sharing her story. She was trafficked and raped and impregnated at 16 years old. And, and how she overcame that and how God delivered her. And she's a Christian and she's got a tremendous testimony. She's going to really help some of the ladies, I think, in particular, uh, involved in a lot of nonprofits here. We're really using that as a tool right here in the community. We're going to be going to the public school tomorrow to invite uh, the families of the public school kids to come. And uh, it's just a really, really unique opportunity. And Jody Jenkins' story, you can actually go to his website, realhope.today, and you can learn a little bit about Jody. He's been here before, but not in the context of speaking on depression. Um, And what an amazing story he's got. Um, It's just going to be a real help to us. So... Uh, we're going to be we're going to be preaching the gospel that night. It's going to be a, a wonderful opportunity for us to reach people. You may have heard me also mention Sunday that we have a new opportunity to work with a nonprofit group here in Jacksonville called Sidewalk Funday School. Cool ministry. I've now got the dates for that. It's April twenty eighth and March five, twelve, and nineteen. Those are Thursday afternoons at three thirty. If you want to reach people, this is your opportunity to do that. Um, we will have real live, immediate opportunities to share the gospel. And then I want to build a follow-up team as well. You may not be able to go at 3.30. I get that. There's a lot of people that can't. I can because my job's a little more flexible. But you may not be able to, and that's okay. But you can also say, but I'd be a part of a follow-up team, which means, let's say a kid accepts Christ at school that day. Well, we have his name, his phone number, his address, and we're going to be going to their home to talk to their parents about his, their baptism, and then we're going to be able to talk to their parents about Jesus, okay? And so all of this is coming. We've been talking a lot about evangelism. We've been talking about a lot about reaching our community, and now these things are on us. So the kind of way I look at it is if you want to reach people, it's here, okay? If you don't, I get it, okay? But if you want to reach people, the doors are wide open, and we're going to have a lot of opportunity And I think you're going to be really, really, really blessed by it. I'm excited to reveal one other thing, and I'm not ready to show it yet, but this is so cool, okay? And we're going to reveal this in full on on missions weekend. But uh, Aaron and I just were just 
chatting this week and just had this idea uh, because we were working with all these basketball guys. And some of y'all know that we have a profound ministry with um, basketball players. Just they're always here. There's a bunch of them here tonight. And we, there's Asante. What you got, man? You good? Asante's trying to reach these kids. I mean, Asante, Asante will have, he'll have 20 or 30 guys here this week. He sent me a text this week of him standing with four other guys and said, these guys came up to me and said, I want to know about God and I want to know about the Bible. So Asante's working hard, but one thing we found this week, I'm glad you walked in because I just started talking about this. One thing we started talking about this week is what we're trying to teach them is way past them where they are, and it's way over their head. Like, we're talking about how to read the Bible. We're, like, doing spiritual disciplines, Cliff, and these kids, like, don't even know who Jesus is. They think he's Muhammad, you know, or whatever. Seriously. So yesterday, two days ago, I was with Asante, and, uh, and um, two guys were in his office, and I had the chance to sit down and just share Christ with them while Asante was there, so he's watching and learning about how to do this, and then, you know, we just said, you know what, what these kids need, they need something very simple, so we, we started uh, a video series uh, on, on, first of all, what does it mean to be a Christian, uh, what does it mean to be baptized, why do you need to be baptized, why do you need to go to church, and um, assurance of salvation, so I recorded a five-minute video called Five Minutes That Can Change Your Life. And that day, we are, we are rolling out new gospel tracks with a simple QR code, and all it says is five minutes that can change your life. And you can literally hand it to somebody and say, hey, this, this changed my life. Would you take a minute and watch it? It's very simple. There's no verses on it. There's no invite to church. It just says five minutes that can change your life. And the video, it's clear. It gives an invitation. There's an opportunity for people to pray and receive Christ. And I am confident that this is going to be something that God's going to use in a powerful way. And so then we're going to be releasing these videos. So now, is it tonight, or did you do this last night? So tonight, y'all pray for this. Okay, y'all want to know, this is how real this is. Tonight, after church, Asante is going to huddle these guys up in a room, and he's going to show that video. And, and he's got the questions. He knows, how to, he knows what to ask. And let's pray that the kids will get saved tonight. Amen? This is it, guys. This is it. We've been talking about stuff. We've been dancing around stuff. And now we're here. we got an opportunity to do it. And I'm excited, re-energized for what the Lord's doing here at our church. So, yeah, yeah, Jerry, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's April 28th. And then the next three, May 5, 12, and 19. Thursdays at 3.30, I'll have more information to go out. But if you are interested in being with me, you'll be part of the outreach team. If you can't make it, still, like, like literally get one of these connection cards and write outreach team or something, sidewalk, Sunday school, write anything, anything that might let me know you're remotely interested, and I will put you on the team. If you can't go, that's okay. We've got plenty of people that are already going, but if you would like to do the follow-up visit, so you may, I mean, I might just grab Dave and say, man, we're going to go. This family lives right down the street. Their kid got saved. We're going to go talk to them. We're going to talk to their parents. How many y'all, I mean, look, look, when somebody gets saved, okay, this is really important. When somebody gets saved, the immediate opportunity is to reach their family. That's the immediate thing that happens. You get to, especially children or teens, because we got to get permission from their parents to baptize them. And so when we do that, it's just the best. And then more than likely, when they get baptized, there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to come and watch them get baptized. We've had people saved at the baptistry here. And so that's what, that's how, that's how, honestly, this is how an outreach church works. You, you see people saved, you see them baptized, and then there's this domino effect that starts falling everywhere. 
Y'all kind of looking at me funny. Y'all must be tired, but I'm amped, okay? I don't even know if I'm going to talk about what I'm supposed to talk about tonight, but uh, in all seriousness, this is a really, really, you know, we're just right on the edge here. And you know, God's doing some great things, things that you'll never see, things i like to share with you, but there are just opportunities just coming our way. Just things are just, it's amazing. It's amazing. The people that are just like calling me and reaching out to me and Hearing about our church's involvement in our community, it's just a great, it's a great thing. So, all right, well, enough of that. You're looking at me like you're about ready to fall asleep, so I'm going to go ahead and, you know, you're like, get on with it, Pastor. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So, my son, Brent, uh, is, I guess, like every other nine-year-old boy, um, in, in, in basically every possible way. Uh, the, one of those ways is, is how much the kid just hates to take a shower. I, I don't know. What is the big deal about this? I mean, he just can't, for some reason, he just thinks it's like you might as well be getting a spanking or something. The kid just can't stand it. He hates it. In fact, I mean, he's, he's just well convinced that really all you need to do after a full day of riding your bike, jumping on a trampoline, swimming in a pool and running down the street at P.E. and all these other things, all you got to do is just change clothes. If you just change clothes, he doesn't quite get all the stuff that, like, he's, you know, that, are, that he's exerting, okay? Uh, and it's just, it's just funny. You've all been there. I can see. You, you, know, you understand that. The, the less mature you are, okay, the more you think that in order to change all you need to do is change clothes. The less mature you are, all I need to do is just change clothes and put on new clothes and I'm good. The more mature you are, the more you realize that, no, actually you need to take off your old clothes. Then you need to wash yourself and then you can then put on new clothes. And only then have you appropriately got cleaned up. Probably at this stage of this Bible study, you've probably come to a place or 10 where you felt bad about yourself. I know I have. I am a, ver I am a verbal ninja. I mean, man, I, can, I mean, it is so easy and so quick for me. I can just saw people out. And it's not good. That's not a compliment. It's, it's sad. But I have to be very careful. And, 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 you know, when you're learning about words, words are the single most revealing thing about your heart, which we've learned. So, so I think it would be fitting for us to take a real look before we get into all of the new ways to use our words. Let's stop and talk about how God brings actual change in somebody's life, specifically in the use of our words. So Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, is the diagnostic, the, the program, if you will, for real transformation. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is um, the path. Now Ephesians 4 is... A loaded chapter. It, it really starts by explaining 
to us that we are supposed to live differently because of who we are. That's what chapter 4 verse 1 says. Walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you are called. There's a play on words there. Walk worthy of the calling where you are called. In other words, live like you're called. Live according to your calling. And that calling has been kind of laid out for us in the first three chapters. Of course, Ephesians lays out chapters 1 through 3 is who you are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 is what you're supposed to do now that you're, you know who you are. And by the way, that's always the way God works. Never forget that. Who you are precedes what you do. Who you are produces what you do. If you're not careful, you get them backwards. You try to do in order to become. But God says you do because you have already became. That's the way it works. So you basically, God transforms your heart and then he works out your salvation, so to speak, by transforming your life. And Ephesians 4 is maybe the greatest place in all the Bible that teaches us how this all works. After these verses, verses 22 through 24, he gives all these examples. Verse 25, if you're lying, stop it, okay, quit it. Stop lying, tell the truth. If you are angry, stop. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? Verse 27, or verse 28, uh, if you steal, quit stealing, but rather work, okay? And, and it goes on and on and on. He, he talks about using your words incorrectly, verse number 29. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He talks about bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, verse 31. Then he talks about rather being kind one to another, forgiving, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So it's a chapter of change. It's a chapter that tells us that we are supposed to change and how we are supposed to change. And so to simplify verses 22, 23, and 24, it, it's simple. Put off, renew, put on. That's the way that it lays out. That's the path of change. Put off, that means stop doing things that you are doing that are wrong. Now, this is so simple, right? It's like Romans 14. It, it, it goes through this whole thing in Romans 14. Be careful to judge your brother. I mean, after all, Christ Christ is the only judge. So be careful not to judge because Christ is really the only judge. And then I think it's in verse 14. So stop judging. Okay? And that's like the conclusion. That's, that's like the answer. It's not that hard. Romans 6 is really clear too. Romans 6 says, as you have yielded your servants instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, even so yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So, you sin, so like stop doing that and start doing this. That's what it says. It's really not that hard yet, isn't it? I mean, we know this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stop. Doing things that dishonor God. I mean, if you, you know, by now you know there's certain things us Christians shouldn't be saying. It's not legalistic, it's just true. By the way, be very careful to call something legalistic. If God says you're not supposed to do it in the New Testament, it's not legalism to obey, it's called obedience to obey. That's what it is. So we get we get really confused about this kind of stuff. If God says don't lie, don't lie. It's that simple. So lying would be a sin. It's okay to say that. So stop lying, put it off, renew. Then put on new characteristics. So what I want to focus on tonight is the middle part. Okay, the middle part. Renewing. I think we all get part one and part two. We all get that. 
We understand that we're supposed to stop doing things that we're not supposed to do, and we're supposed to start doing things that we are supposed to do. That's really simple. Nobody in here doesn't, but that's not where we struggle. Where we struggle is the how-to, and the, the how do I, and, and the answer is we are renewed, watch this now, in the spirit of, uh, excuse me, uh, and be renewed, here it is, in the spirit of your mind, Okay. Uh, hold your finger here real quick. Let me show you a, a sister verse, so to speak, in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. It says, I beseech you, I'm sorry, let me, let me actually get verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God, so as, as all of scripture teaches us concerning righteousness, holiness, transformation of life, it's an inside out job. God changes our heart. Then he changes our actions. And so in the place where God changes you, okay, is in your heart and in your mind. Your mind thinks certain ways, and as you think in your heart, so you are. Okay, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your, your, your heart and your mind lead to actions. So, so God says if you want to deal with the sin problems of your mouth, where you need transformed is on the inside. So how does God go about transforming our heart? I'm going to give you 11 things tonight. I'm going to go real quick, okay? And this is all, again, from the book, War of Words. I just think this is well done. And so I'm just going to keep it real simple and do it like he did. I think it's good here. Okay, number one, if you're going to be transformed in the renewing of your mind, do not give in to regret. Let me tell you what. Uh, the way to change is not bemoaning the past. Okay, there are a lot of Christians that struggle with how do they know who's talking to me or who's feeding me. And I found a couple of easy ways to be able to determine whether you can be sure God is talking to you or Satan is trying to influence you, okay. It's real simple, listen, listen very carefully. If Christ is influencing your mind, he's trying to get you to go forward, not backward. Okay, every time. If Christ is influencing your mind... He is trying to be your advocate, not your accuser. So if, if the feelings or the thoughts are, I'm worthless, I can't do anything right, I'm a screw-up, whatever you want to put it, okay? I'm just, I just, I always blow it, I'm never going to get, I'm never going to fix it. Look at everything that I've done, my track record's a fail, so that means my future's going to be a fail. That's not God, God doesn't talk like that, okay? If God wants, okay, God looks if you look back in God's through God's eyes you see the cross what is in your rearview mirror if you are a Christian Calvary Calvary um, and then what do you get to look forward to because of that hope future eternity resurrection eternal life Everything that is great. So if Christ is influencing your heart and mind, he's influencing you that direction. Not running back around Calvary, leaping over the cross, back into your guilt, into your despair. Okay? That's not where you're supposed to go as a believer. If you ever look back, you're looking back to a cross where God allowed all the wrath against you to be absorbed by his son Jesus... And you know, yes, yes, do we need to correct actions and correct course? Sure we do. But we don't do it from a position of guilt and absolute 
um, wallowing in all of our failure. That's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good to say, man, you know what? Here's the bottom line is I have lived 43 years of my life, and all I do is run my mouth. Okay, I'm not going to, I have no chance here. I have no chance. My marriage has no chance. I mean, we have been, we have been letting spark, sparks fly from day one. This is just who we are. And by the way, if you ever even say that, that kind of thing, this is just who I am, stop. That's not who Jesus is. So that's a, that's a big, 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 huge red flag when somebody is talking like that. Number two, embrace gospel hope. In grace, embrace gospel hope. Okay, and I might get ahead of myself here in, in a little bit, but, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that there is hope for transformation. I mean, you know, as they say, God is not going to command you to do something that he will not enable you to do. And so if God tells you that you can be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you can put on new clothes, you can. You can be a new person. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Christ is in the business of changing people's lives. We've got to believe that. Why would we have a night of hope if there was no hope? Okay, this is what people need. This is why people are so unhappy and why people are so... Do you believe that Jesus Christ <coughs> can change your life. And here, listen to this. Never forget this. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You are a great sinner, but Christ is a great redeemer. This is true. And think about this. Just because you are in trouble doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. You know, your words may have got you in trouble, but just because you're in trouble doesn't mean God is done with you. It just means that God can bring glory and hope out of where you're at. You know, sometimes we think, well, <clears throat> I did this, I did this, I said this, I acted in a certain way, and all of a sudden, God became my adversary, and he's against me now. That's terrible thinking. That is terrible thinking. I'm here to tell you, friend, when you are the one sheep out from the fold, as far down the cliff of destruction you can be, that's when the shepherd reaches out his hand and comes and pulls you. We need to remember that. I mean, like, we act like, we act like somehow... God got a good deal when he got us. Are you kidding me? He rescued you out of the mire, friend. He literally pulled you out of hell. That's what God did. You had something to offer to God? Like this was a good deal for him? Are you kidding me? When you got saved, he got down in it with you to get you out of there. Okay, so let's not think that he doesn't always do that. Even when we sin. Number three, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this has been well covered. Examine your fruit. Change begins with a hum humble willingness to examine your harvest. Okay, and he uses a Galatians chapter 6 here, and I think it's so good. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And I think that one, one way to victory in your words is, is having a good, honest look at your fruit and what it's produced. Example. Let's say <clears throat> that you um, have a, had a propensity toward maybe being really unkind or ugly to a spouse. Or maybe you're, I know for the longest time, as a young married person, I'm just going to be transparent here, okay, if that's okay. As a young married person, I, I interpreted anything that Angie ever said to me, uh, like, as a corrective thing almost. Like, hey, why'd you do that? Or don't do that? Or... Brian, that was kind of that was kind of rough, or I don't know anything. 
I kind of viewed it like she was stepping out of her lane. And what I didn't realize was that that was so childish. And when I finally came to the place where I viewed her as a completer and a helper, and actually that word there, the help me, that, that's strong, a virtue. It's, she provides strength there, strengthens me up. And I start viewing her as someone who was um, there as a kind of a, a negative. Like, like, you're out of place, you're being disrespectful, okay? To I got to the place where God changed my heart about that, but I want to tell you this. There were times early on in our marriage, even for probably for a few years, maybe even more than a few, where because I never reacted right to her saying, I'm talking about simple stuff, simple stuff. Anything she said that, that was something I shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said, or I would get upset about it. Well, guess what happened? You do that enough, and guess what she does? She quits, and it upsets her that she can't be that person. So I created something there, right? Then what did I have to do? I had to humble myself. I had to eat that and say that was wrong. I was looking at you the wrong way. And then, then I have to, through that humility and transparency, then God begins to change me because I don't want to live with that fruit anymore, right? And now, it's like funny now because we realize how comfortable we can be and should be one with the other because God created us for that. And instead of viewing her like that, I view her as somebody who actually brings amazing completion. Well, actually, it's far greater than that in my case. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm the one, I like, I'm married way up here, okay? I'm married way out of my zone. And so I like, uh, guys, that would have been a real great place for an amen right there. Now, I got to tell you. Uh, but anyways, you can do whatever you want. But anyhow, uh, I, 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 it helped me. But you see, what I had to do is I had to, I had to acknowledge that what I was saying and how I was acting was creating a negative fruit in our relationship. And by acknowledging that, recognizing my mistake, and then owning it, I was able to get somewhere there. Number four, uncover your roots. Similar there, basically that everything you say comes from your heart. And guys, listen, what do you do? Okay, how does God renew your mind and your heart? What's the answer? The answer is so simple and so basic that we forget it. And that is the only transforming power that is available for your mind and your heart is God's word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. My, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now. How do you expect to have your words and your mind changed if you are not intentionally and purposefully spending time in God's word? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for your children. It's not going to happen for your spouse. If you're not in God's word, letting God change the root from the root all the way to the fruit. Number five. Number five. How does God transform your words? How do, it's when you seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. Um, and, and this, I really want to park here for a second because there's, 
Well, let me give you, I'm going to give you five and six together because I, I want to talk to it. So you seek forgiveness <coughs> when you're wrong, but watch this, number six, you grant forgiveness when you are wronged. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking at a couple's retreat this, this, this weekend. I'll be back Saturday night, but I'm speaking up in, in Connecticut uh, for a couple days, Friday and Saturday. And one of the messages that I'm preaching is called The Other Side of Forgiveness. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a guy in the church who does, a, he does something really stupid. And he gets in a lot of trouble and he has to have church discipline exercised on him because of his moral failures. Okay? And, and it's just, it's, it's bad. Bad situation there in Corinth. Then you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and the same guy is being talked about. And the same guy, Paul says, guys, you need to forgive him. You need to confirm your love toward him. You need to accept him lest he be overcome with much sorrow. Isn't that amazing? You see a guy in the first chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, is being rebuked. He's being challenged. But obviously, he's come back. He's asked for forgiveness. He's tried to be welcomed back. Which, by the way, is the purpose of confrontation and church discipline. It's not to excommunicate people. It's to bring people to a point of reconciliation. That's the purpose of it. We're not just trying to throw people out of church. Good night. What's wrong with everybody? Um, it's hard enough to get people to church. Okay? So, but sometimes you have to do that. We've had to do that here a few times. And I don't like it. It's ugly and awful and terrible. And, and there's a reason for it, and we should do it biblically. But the reason that we should do it is for the purpose of bringing people to a place of repentance. So what do you do when that person comes to a place of repentance? Here is the other side of forgiveness. Okay? I've done a lot of counseling. I don't do a lot anymore. I, I got a lot of reasons for it. You can, we can sit down and have coffee about it if you'd like to. There's just a lot of reasons why I don't. Okay? And I... I, I, I think I may have said some of this before, but I, I'm, not, I'm not equipped, first of all. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a licensed therapist, okay? That's a great word, okay? I like that word. I'm not that. I, I wish I was. I'm not. I, I don't, I haven't studied that stuff. I haven't researched it. I'm, I'm not there, okay? Not all pastors are counselors. That's a mistake. I don't, in fact, I, I've challenged even some of the colleges I teach at, quit offering pastors counseling degrees. They don't need counseling degrees. Are you kidding me? They need preaching degrees. They need to learn how to preach the Bible. That's what they need to learn how to do. There's other people to do that kind of stuff. And somehow I think, like we think that a pastor is supposed to know everything. Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't. And the truth is, you have a 15-year-long relational dispute and a deep-seated problem in your marriage that because of something that somebody said 25,000 years ago and, and, you're, and this is all this and that. I, look, I, the truth is, probably truth is, I probably can't help you. And I can probably reference you to somebody that can. And I'm not even going to touch words like, you know, bipolar and clinically this and that. And I'm just out. I'm out. Gone. Out. Okay. But here's, here's the deal. The deal is that when I have counseled people, this is what probably of all the counseling I've done, particularly relational counseling, usually the guy screwed up. 
most of the time. Because I'm telling you, for whatever reason, there's a lot of guys, males, you just don't have their act together. That's just the truth. For a lot of reasons. It could be drug use. It could be misappropriation of funds. It could be, you know, adultery. There's a lot, a lot of that. Now, I'm not, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that there's never been an issue where the girl was not the center of the problem. I'm just saying there are oftentimes what, what, what brought them to me was something the guy did. Oftentimes. Okay. So then I'm trying to rebuild this thing. You know what the one piece of advice I often gave that was never heated? Okay, listen. Often gave, never heated. Is if you're going to work this out, you better be willing to extend forgiveness and open up your arms and have a spirit of grace about you. Because if you don't, and he tries, you're going to smother him and kill him. Here's the problem. Somebody will struggle with something. Let's just say anything. You struggle with anything, and it's affected your uh, relationship, okay? And you are trying to get forgiveness. And let's say you give it. Okay, I forgive you. But then, but then, every time something doesn't go the way that you want it to go, you smother them with accusations. You smother them with you always do that. And by the way, superlatives are the worst things you could ever use in communication. Always and never. Never say always. Never say never. Okay? Never do that. <laughs> you just can't. It will kill. If you, like, right? You always talk like that. You always respond like that. You never do that. You never. Okay? When you do those kinds of things, you're crushing any hope. Just like the people at Corinth. Just like the people at Corinth. The guy did wrong. He asked for forgiveness. He tried to come back to the church, and all the little busy-body men and women legalists were crushing him. Oh, I, rem- I still remember this, Brother Jerry, several years ago when we were at the old building. One, we, were, we had a guy that was really going through a hard time, a guy that ultimately went on, got, de- he derailed. But I was sitting in a deacon's meeting one time, and I'll never forget this. A guy looked at me and said, I, 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 we were talking about he had to be church disciplined. I actually had to remove him from the church. And I was, I'm in a meeting. And, and I remember saying, I remember walking our deacons through and saying, okay, now if he repents and comes back, we're going to welcome him back. And one of the guys spoke up, I'll never forget this, he spoke up and said, well, how long is he going to have to prove himself? And I looked at him and said, about as long as you had to prove yourself to Jesus before Jesus forgave you. About that long. To no surprise, that person's no longer in my inner circle. Because that kind of attitude is not the kind of attitude that, 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 that is a greenhouse for growth. If you do not know how to ask for forgiveness and you do not know how to extend forgiveness in a relationship, your, your words will be absolutely, constantly destructive. Okay, number seven, change the rules. Now, again, it's the text I read. The text I read in Ephesians 4 tells us that we have to change the way we do things, like I've already mentioned. Most fundamentally, you've got to not ignore this middle ground. You've got to renew the spirit of your mind. You've got to fix something on the inside. Get into God's word. Do you have, let's say you struggle with something like slander or evil speaking. Do you have, right now have a handful or more verses right 
on your mind that you can fight the devil with in spiritual warfare. Now, when Jesus was attacked by Satan, what did Jesus say three times to Satan? Every time he was tempted, he said what? He said it is written. He didn't do this. Listen very carefully. This is very important. He didn't wave his Bible out like a rabbit's foot and say, you know, stay away from me. This, guys, this is, not, this is not a rabbit's foot. This is not like some kind of Catholic relic that we, you know, stick out there and try to keep like vampires away. That's not what the Bible is, okay? What did he say? It is written, and then he quoted, not, a, not, not like, you know, I love the Bible. No, he quoted a specific verse of the Bible. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 6, when it says, um, uh, uh, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, this is a really interesting fact. In the New Testament, there were several words translated word, and there are several words translated sword. Okay, the most common word for word in the New Testament is logos, which means the whole truth, like what Carrie talked about a couple weeks ago. Logos, the whole truth, everything that is truth. Then there's a word called rhema, rhema, which is a Greek word which means one statement of truth. And then the sword, Ephesians 6, there's either the sword like a long saber that you would see somebody sword fight with, or there was the dagger, the one that you carried on your hip in case you had close combat and you needed to do battle more closely. Now, I've kind of sold it here, but which words do you think are used in Ephesians chapter 6? Do you think it's the big long sword that you swing in a sword fight and the word logos? No. Look it up. The word sword is the little dagger. The word word is the word rhema. And when he says take out the sword of the spirit in a time of battle, he's not talking about a general knowledge of the Bible. He's talking about a specific knowledge of the Bible related to the battle that you're in. And if you don't have a little sword out to fight when you are tempted, you're going to be destroyed. So if the point is, man, look, guys, this is so easy today. I mean, it used to be you had to get a Strong's Concordance out. And like look up the word and write all these verses. Now it's as simple as Google searching Bible verses about evil speaking. And you'll have a hundred pages that will come up and they'll list them out there for you. It's not hard. If you want to memorize the Bible, you can. If you want to read it and you want to have it a part of your life, you can. Okay. If you don't, it's nobody's fault but your own. And if you want victory, you're not going to get it without that sword. It's not going to happen. You cannot do it. You can't listen to enough self-help books. You can't listen to enough New York bestseller times books on, you know, how to, how to positively use your words and change your mind. It's not going to work that way. You need God's word in, and only God's word is going to transform the spirit of your mind, okay? Uh, look for, number. this will be number eight, look for opportunities. Those situations that used to be a source of difficulty, those moments where unkind, selfish, and ungodly words were spoken... Those situations you used to dread now become opportunities to experience the enabling grace of Christ. Let me give you an illustration about this. This is really cool. So I was working with somebody, and it was, again, not counseling, just general, some general advice. And the, the wife um, was having trouble, a lot of trouble with her husband. And she was having trouble with exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? And he was having trouble because this is what he felt like. She felt like he was always messing up. Okay, and he felt like he could, 
basically, he even told me one time, her standards are too high for me. Meaning, her expectations just drown me. And so, we were talking one day, and I said, well, let me ask you this question. Are you willing to do this if your husband doesn't do something that you think he should have done? Are you willing to just close your mouth, trust God with it, not say anything about it, and then come around just at a slightly different time and say something that you appreciate about him, completely unrelated? So her method was every time he messed up, I'd pound on him, right, which is deflating. So instead of doing that, the next time, realize it's not your job. Girls, have you ever, please figure this out. It's not your job to change your husband. Men, it's not your job to change your wife. That's not your job. Only one person changes people, and it's God, not you. So while you're out there aggressively pounding on someone, trying to force your will and your way into somebody's life, here's what you could do. You could step out of that and insert prayer there and then come around here and draw somebody in with the power of encouraging words. You know what's interesting about that particular relationship? That was the last time I talked to them, and they are doing fantastic. Because there's something powerful about that. Or the other option, okay, is this, give place to the devil. So number, 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 I don't even know what number, I'm on number nine. Number nine, don't give an opportunity for the devil. So, okay, so here's the bottom line. If you keep that space there, that space of uh, problematic conversations, heated discussions, angry speech, slanderous talk, whatever, that place, that lack of forgiveness, this little space here that now exists between you and whoever is in your life that your words have affected, watch this. That becomes a vacant zone. God's not there. So when there's that space there, guess what? You hang up in your life a vacancy sign, and guess who comes in and occupies? Yeah, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, neither give place to the devil. The devil should have no place in your home. One of my favorite parts of the movie, The War Room, which is really great. If you've never watched it, you should, and watch it again if you've watched it before, is when uh, Priscilla Shire, do you remember that when she... She takes all of her shoes and throws them out of the, uh, of the house. And she's on the back porch and she's just crying out. You know, and she's basically telling the devil, you have no place here. And here's the thing. It's not just, you can't just say that. You have to fill up that vacancy. And so by doing these things we're talking about, you can close that vacancy off. Otherwise, otherwise you're in trouble. Number 10, number 10, choose your words carefully. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 28. And there's so many of these I'm going through in, on the Proverbs study in the mornings, which has been fantastic. Several of the memory verses this year that we're going through, that I hope you're going through with me, uh, are just really, really speaking to this. But Proverbs chapter 15 uh, and verse, oh, let's see, verse number 28 is just another one. Uh, it says here, <clears throat> the heart of the man... Listen, the studieth to answer. Studieth to answer. He's careful. He's careful. You know, you would be better off to not say anything 
than to not think about it and say the wrong thing. It's just, and there's so many verses like that in Proverbs. Be slow to speak in James, slow to wrath, swift to hear, two ears, one mouth, right? Listen twice as much as you speak. You should be careful with the words. Angie, Angie's really good at this because Angie, Angie struggles with like just a, if, if, if we needed to talk and there was like a confrontation with me, her, or anybody for that matter, she just gets in the middle of it. She just can't, it's like, she just can't pull it together. So she's just learned. I actually have to stop. I can't talk about it. And I have to write it out. And she'll like read stuff to me. That's great. And you know what? It's better than running off at the mouth and creating a problem. At least to respect the fact that she acknowledges if I'm not ready to talk, I can't talk because I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. And that's humble, man. That's humble. And it's good and it's healthy. Uh, finally, don't, uh, number 11, I think, confess your weakness. This is, this is the humility before God. To confess my weakness, to ask for God's help, to, to carefully implore the Lord for his help. When I was in college, I had a, a buddy that had a, had a problem with lying. I didn't know about it. His name was Michael, and Michael uh, and I had this thing. I was a freshman, and maybe I was a sophomore. I can't remember. It's been some time ago now. <laughs> Anyways, he was, uh, I, th- I think it was sophomore. So he was in my, my dorm, my hall, and we both had the same uh, dorm duty. We had to, to uh, take out trash, and we went to breakfast together every morning, and we would go, and we went, uh, Mike went home for Thanksgiving break in Michigan. I didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving that year. And so Mike came back, and we went to breakfast. It was on Monday or Tuesday morning, the week after Thanksgiving. We're walking after breakfast. We're walking back across campus, going to class. And Mike stops right in the middle of campus and says, hey, hey, man, listen. I just wanted you to know, I told you a story about being back at home, and it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the truth. And then he retold the story and told me the truth. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, God's been dealing with me about my lying and I, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I've just told God the way I'm gonna the way I'm gonna solve this problem is by just owning up to it every time. So next day, no joke, next day, same exact thing, almost the same place. I did it again. Did it again. Will you forgive me? Sure, sure, man. Like I wouldn't even know, but yeah, of course. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Pray with me, man. I'm trying to get this right. Okay? All right. Next day, three days in a row. Next day we go, we're at breakfast. Again, it's like Thursday now. We're sitting at breakfast. He's talking. And this time, like mid-sentence, he just choked on tears. Man, he just dropped his head right there, crowded dining hall. He is pouring tears out on his plate. I'm just sitting there like, oh, boy, wow. He's just broken right there. Finally, he could talk again. He looked up at me and barely could get a word out. And he's just softly hitting the table. I am so sick of my sin. Please forgive me. Please pray with me. That was the last time. I'm not saying he never did it again, but there was a moment of breaking There was a moment of real, just hopeless, crying out for help because I'm struggling so bad with something. 
It may very well be that's just the bottom line. It's the bottom line. And when you come to that place, you at least got to acknowledge it. I'm not winning here. I'm struggling. And God, you're going to have to help me because without your help, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that you will guide us into truth. I pray that we will be obedient to the things that you have um, spoken to us about, that we will be different, that we will learn and grow. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.